This week, we continue in Matthew chapter 6. And we're, when we talk about treasure, this is the famous passage where Jesus instructs us not to lay up treasures here on earth, but to lay up our treasures in heaven. When we talk about treasure, we're naturally talking in our day about money. And I, I want to begin with the disclaimer that I think we all need to recognize and receive, which is money itself is not evil. We understand that. It's the love of money that is sin. Money's necessary. The church needs money to run. Ministries run off money. God provides for his kingdom through people who give generously. And the world operates on some form of currency. No matter what nation that you live in, there's some type of exchange, whether those exchange are are dollar bills or whether it's material goods. The love of money is not sin. I mean, the, the love of money is sin, but money itself is, is not sinful. And we can use money to serve God, but we cannot serve both God and money. That's a running thought that I want you to keep in mind as we go through our message today. We can use money to serve God, but we cannot serve both God and money. The late great New Testament scholar Ralph P. Martin wrote this about the danger of money. He said, The sin may be defined as the spirit of grasping greed, acquisitiveness, acquisitiveness the insatiable longing for more of material possessions, and a consequent lack of contentment and absence of trust in God our Father who has promised to supply all needful things to his children. I believe that Martin's statement perfectly summarizes the heart of Jesus' message today and the heart behind Jesus' message, which we'll hear two weeks from now. It's today's passage in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, where we are called to have a an undivided loyalty to him. We cannot serve both God and money. And two weeks from now, we will have the very famous passage where we are not to be anxious about tomorrow. We are not to be because God will provide. And if you look at that context of that message very carefully, that passage is talking about worrying about things that money provides. So I've entitled our sermon today, Undivided Hearts, Imperishable Treasure. We're going to be talking about a treasure that's imperishable, but the focus is on the heart. It's about how our heart treasures and desires money versus Jesus. And so God calls us to an undivided heart and to pursue imperishable treasure. Today we're going to see three things very simply about treasure. What you treasure defines and determines three things about you. Who you are, what you see, and who you worship. In other words, money, possessions, your perspective on money and possessions will determine who you are, what you see, and who you worship. Point number one is what, your treasure, what you treasure determines who you are. If you'll look with me now at verse 19, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Let me read you the first three verses. Jesus says famously, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying here in that final verse of, those, of, of verse 21, that final section of verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is the crux. That's where he's getting at, is that your treasure determines who you are as a person. Now, the principle of the illustration is very simple. There's not much exegesis that needs to be done, right? A, a moth is an insect, the Greek word for rust is rust. You know, it means rust. And so I don't think there's too much exegesis there. A thief is someone who breaks in and steals. I think where we get at the principle is a reality is that simply this is wisdom literature. This is the wise person versus the foolish person. The foolish person invests in earthly treasure and the wise person invests in eternal treasure. While earthly treasure is perishable and can be stolen, and I'll add, requires more insurance, the more you own, the more you need to insure, eternal treasure is imperishable and will, will never be stolen, and you don't need any other insurance other than the assurance of your salvation with Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus' prohibition against storing up earthly treasure does not negate at any point the need to wisely and responsibly manage our resources. So when it says, do not lay up your treasures here on earth, that doesn't mean be careless. That doesn't mean don't invest wisely so that you can have more resources to be used for the kingdom. But that is the issue right there. The person whose heart is geared towards the things of God and zoned in on the kingdom of God is going to invest wisely so that they use financial resources for the kingdom. Whereas the person who sees their treasure as the earthly treasure itself will find their joy in using that treasure offered themselves. That's the difference. Right, so we must clarify what Jesus is saying. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, there's a parable of the shrewd steward that instructs us as Christ followers to be wise and shrewd with our earthly resources. So Jesus is very clearly attacking the idolatry of money and possessions. In this way, the spiritual metaphor of treasure isn't literal treasure, but it refers to what you desire most in your heart. So what do you treasure? It's a metaphor. What do you desire most? What do you cherish the most? What is the thing or the person that brings you the most joy in life? Now, the Jewish understanding of the heart, when we talk about the desire of your heart, the Jewish understanding of the heart was more than just a physical organ. The Jewish understanding of a heart was more than just emotions and affections. The Jewish understanding of the heart was a control center, if you will, of your entire person. You're talking about your being. And so when we say your heart, it's who you are. Wear your heart on your sleeves, it's who you are. Be who you are. And so Jesus is saying your treasure is going to determine who you are. Whatever you treasure the most, that's who you are. Whatever you desire the most, that, that actually defines you because it's going to determine your life pursuits and the things that you spend your time, your energy, 
and your love pursuing. What you treasure determines who you are in biblical standards. Jesus' teaching will apply differently to each of you today. And it may speak to you uniquely as well. And it did so for Jesus' original audience. For those listening to Jesus, there were four different types of people that we can suspect and infer. And there had to be more, but I can think of four. First, in Jesus' audience, there were many who were poor. I mean, realistically poor. I'm not talking about American poor. Okay, but I'm talking about real ancient poor, and they envied the rich. They desire to be rich. And so Jesus' message speaks to them. If you are poor and you don't have a lot, which means you don't have privilege, and you don't have that, that status of being an elite person in Judaism or an elite person in, Roman, in the Roman, uh, Roman Empire, then do not lay up your treasures on earth. Do not spend your life chasing after and investing in things that are perishable and temporary. The second person who's listening is anyone who hoards up earthly treasure. Now that might apply to rich or poor, but it may apply to many of you in here, right? If you just have too many things at home and just hoarding up treasure. Treasure is meant to be given away. Honestly. Right? When you find treasure, what are you going to do with it? So true spiritual treasure is meant to be given away. Jesus gives us all something that we ought to treasure in the Holy Spirit. We are all given spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts must be exercised and used for the blessing of others. We don't just hoard it up and keep it to ourselves. Otherwise, they're useless. In the same way, God gives us resources. Resources are to be used first and foremost to provide for your own family and yourself. God does allow that and, and the book of Proverbs challenges us and exhorts us to do so. And that we are to provide for our family members so that we do not burden the church. We are to provide for others if we are able to. right? And for those who cannot provide for themselves, then the generous donations of others begins to provide for their needs because they have special needs. And so there is a responsibility to give away and to utilize resources. Let me challenge you as a church. It's good to have reserve. But as a church that's invested in disciple making and being everyday missionaries, having a global perspective, are we being faithful in storing up millions of dollars and sitting on it? Let me challenge you as a church. But just because we have that reserve, does that mean that we stop giving? No, right? So I think our pastors and our deacons are constantly asking, and that's why you've seen investments happen recently. You've seen investment go into missions. We, you see this plan to have global partners. You see that we're actually going to invest and put some money in if we need. If, it's, if, if we go beyond what we have allotted, we need to go into our reserve. If we really need to hire more staff, because of a growing church, we're going to have to do it, right? Money is not to be hoarded up because all, all that's going to happen to it is that it goes into the grave. It's perishable. It's temporary. It can be stolen. It can be taken. The market can crash and we can lose our, our non-cash investments, right? There's a third group of people, and this is anyone who worships money rather than God. 
And beloved, I put before you today that this is Benny in our world. That they don't know that they worship money, but when they don't have money, or when their money is touched, or when their investments are threatened, they begin to get depressed, they begin to get anxious. It affects everything. And so money becomes a security blanket, it becomes a source of contentment and joy, it becomes a source of power. And we'll get to this in the application, time permitting, that anyone who worships money rather than God, and there's a fourth person that's listening to Jesus, and that's anyone who finds their identity and security in earthly treasure. Anyone who finds their identity and security in earthly treasure. So if you go, go into our passage in verse 21, this is what Jesus is saying. For where your treasure is, is it stored up? Is it in the bank? Is it, is it something that you, you desire? Where your treasure is, is it in your house? Is it in your vehicle? Is it in your wallet? Where's your treasure? Is it just people? And so if you lose those people, you can't worship God. Where is your treasure? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So verse 21 summarizes the points. And this leads us to point number two this morning. So what you treasure determines actually who you are. But point number two tells us that, that what you treasure determines what you see, your view of life, your focus, your perspective. What you treasure determines what you see. If you desire money and material things in this world, and if that's what you think will bring you joy, then that's your perspective. You are going to pursue those things, though they are perishable, because you perceive that it's going to bring you joy and satisfaction. But if you think otherwise, if you simply see, oh, money is a tool, but like the great philosopher, the notorious one said, the more money you come across, the more problems you get, then you will think otherwise, and you'll think, okay, I see eternally. I see further. I want to invest in eternal treasure. I want to invest in things of God. If my heart desires the things of Christ, then I will invest in people. I will be investing in disciple making. Things are e eternal. Things that you can take with you into heaven. Winning souls. Discipling. Things that, that, don't, that cannot be stolen. Your character. Godliness. Right? You will use money still to invest in these things, and you will desire the things of God. Now let me show you where Jesus says this through a metaphor. Look at verses 22 to 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of lights. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I want you to notice that the eye and lamp are not two separate things. This metaphor, it's similar. Notice what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's connecting eye and lamp. And in Judaism, the eye and lamp, it, it, it metaphorically represents your heart, once again, your desire, right? What you desire impacts what you see. In Jewish thought, one connection is the idea of having a singular focus or undivided purpose. Now, this is very interesting, right? Because the, the eye is the window into your heart. And in Jewish thinking, it was very different from how we think today. 
Now, when we think in the Western world, what you see impacts what you feel. You see, a, you see something that's tasty, like a, like, 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 a, like a meal, like a steak, and then you're like, okay, all of a sudden, I desire it. You see someone who's beautiful, and you desire that beauty, to have it. So you, you see a vehicle that, that, that's, that looks beautiful, and then, and then you start to think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I had that? That wasn't the way that they thought in Judaism. In Judaism, it's the lamp that's in you, your heart, your desire impacts what you see. Like I, I said in the opening illustration, if you love certain things, your eye will be drawn towards it. Right? That's the idea, is that the eye is the lamp of the body. And the lamp of the body is your heart. And if you're filled with light, if you're filled with the light of Christ, then you're going to see things through the lens of the kingdom. You are going to invest in the things that are of the kingdom. And that fits the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see with what they say, what they call a kingdom perspective versus a worldly perspective. And that's going to impact how you see money, possessions, and everything that you own. Right? The lamp is the eye of your body. Your heart is your eye. What you treasure determines what you actually see as good or as bad, as wise, or as foolish. Now this word healthy, this word healthy in the Greek, it's very interesting when you study the original language. It means a few things. Now some commentators point out that this word in its original form is sometimes translated as generous and sincere. And so some of your, your commentaries, if you have like a certain study Bible, might say that this is talking about a generous eye versus a stingy eye because of the context of money. But I think that the better translation is that this word in its original usage, this word healthy, it is also translated as singleness of purpose, meaning you have a singular focus, a singular goal, you're undivided in your attention. This is, the, this is the view that you'll see reflected in your study notes of your ESV study, study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible. Uh, D.A. Carson and other scholars take this view. I, I do think that this is what Jesus is talking about because it fits the focus of the eye and the lamp and the Jewish understanding of that. And so when it says your healthy eye, it's saying if your eye is focused on the things of God, if your eyes are focused, singular focus. If your purpose in life is undivided to see the kingdom as your goal, to seek first the kingdom of God, then, then it is a healthy eye. It is what is inside of you. Now, Jesus said elsewhere, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 10 to 20, this idea that he says it's not what goes into us that defiles us, but it's, what, it's what's already in us that determines whether we're clean or not. The same principle applies here. It's not because you see things that tempt you that make you lustful. Now that's true. You see something that's tempting and you're going to lust after it. Now, that's the Western thinking. But the Jewish thinking is that because you struggle with lust, because your heart lusts after things, because you have a sinful nature, that's why when you see a woman who's beautiful or a man who's, who's sexy or something, you're going to lust after them, right? There's nothing wrong with a woman who's beautiful if she's modest. That's not her fault. That's God's fault, right? God made her beautiful. As long as she's modest, wow, that's even more beautiful. It's, it's because our hearts... 
It's what's in us that defiles us. It impacts what we see. Same thing with money. Same thing with money. Same thing with possession. Same thing with worldliness. That's the idea of this Greek word healthy. It says if your eye is healthy, if your heart spiritually is aligned with God, then your whole body will be full of light. It will impact your actions. But if your eye is bad, this word in the Greek means evil. This word bad in the original language means evil. If, you're, if your heart, meaning your eye, figuratively is evil, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You'll be spiritually blind to the things of God. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Meaning it'll impact you. And so when you put this into the context of perishable versus imperishable treasure, if your heart is aligned with Christ because you have Christ, then you will be spiritually illumined like a lamp and you will see the value of eternal investments. But if you're spiritually blind, then of course, naturally, you're going to see this world and all that it has to offer as it. That's it. That's the best that you can have. So let's go after it. So the illustration is pretty clear. You see, when Christ transforms our hearts, he will become our treasure. And when Christ is your treasure, you will value the things that he values because you're becoming more like him. And that's the basics of sanctification. And this leads us to point number three. So what you treasure determines who you are. What you treasure determines what you see. And point number three, what you treasure determines who you worship. Ultimately, we see this in verse 24, if you'll look with me. No one can serve two masters for he will hate one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. A couple things I want you to notice here. The first thing is this idea, masters, two masters. Okay, why does he say masters? This context here, masters, is not the same as in Ephesians where you're thinking about an employee, an employer relationship. This is not talking about a modern day master in terms of someone who employs you. This is talking about slavery, beloved. This is talking about a slave master. Serve. You cannot serve two masters. You will either be enslaved to one or your heart will be put in service to the other. Notice that Jesus uses a polarizing comparison of love and hate. He doesn't need to go to the extreme, but he does. Why? Because that's what money does to you. Right? He understands that money is enticing, that the more of it you have, you're actually not satisfied. The more you have in savings, it is a security blanket, but you always want to make sure it's there, and you want to make sure you're putting more in. Right? You want to make sure that you have more, and as you have more, you begin to desire more. And so he knows that, Jesus knows that money and possessions are not evil in and of themselves, but they will not satisfy your soul, and instead they will leave you with this unsatisfying lust and desire for more of it. But you know what? Jesus knows that all too well because when you have Christ, and if you really get a taste of him, really, if you're regenerate, you're going to want more of him. The more you want of God, you're going to desire more, and your heart in a positive sense is going to be enslaved unto Christ. You see, Jesus created us, and God created us to have a singular purpose of worship. That's why it's hard for us to divide our worship. 
It's impossible for us, I think, to divide our worship is what Jesus is saying because God created us in his image to worship him alone. When sin entered the world in the cosmos of Genesis 3, the whole created order and God's created design was tarred, was marred. Well, sin looks like tar, but it's marred by sin and it's tainted. And so then we're still in his image though. We're still created to worship. So rather than worshiping God, we worship something. And we're created to worship with singularity. So then instead, we turn our singular focus to something else, the world, success, prestige, other things of this world, right? Health, whatever it is, we pursue with all of our hearts. And so that's why he says, you will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money because they will come into conflict. And so again, I want to make the disclaimer. Money is a necessary tool to survive in this world and we need to utilize money. But as Jesus' people, in the context of spiritual slavery, We've experienced a spiritual exodus from the slavery of this world. Jesus brought us out of slavery so that he could bring us into the kingdom of heaven. That is the heart behind today's passage. And so, if you've been redeemed from spiritual slavery, then you're no longer enslaved to money. Instead, we must enslave and subject money to the purposes of God's kingdom. We were called and given at creation, a creation mandate to put all things under subjection for the glory of God, to be vice regents of God, to be kingdom personnel, if you will. And so rather than being enslaved by money, something that enslaves so many people, we as Christians must take money and enslave it, subject it, and put it to work for the purpose of his kingdom. No longer does money control us, but we control money for the gospel for disciple-making, for evangelism, and caring for the needs of the, for the needy and the weak. Money is now at the service of our king at which we are his royal ambassadors. Beloved, how are you using your money? Jesus is not saying throw your money away. That's a waste. And he's not saying that if you're gifted in business and enterprise that you should just waste it. You need to steward that and make the money, but then what do you do with that money? The money is to be subjected unto the rules and the laws of the kingdom of God. We are not enslaved by money. We enslave money for the purposes of his kingdom, and that makes us generous. So by divine design, we cannot serve God in money. Now, some of your translations, the word money is mammon, any of you guys have that? How many of you guys have the translation where it says you cannot serve both God and mammon? Okay, you know what's mammon? It's not food. Okay, mammon is an Aramaic word. It's, an, it's a Greek transliteration of the Aramaic word for money, treasure, and material possessions. And so that's why if you have the ESV, they just translate it as money and they put a little footnote there for you. Okay, it's the same thing. But mammon was a word that they commonly used back then to refer to more than money. Money and everything that money could buy. Okay, so here's some application for you. What is spiritual treasure exactly? I think we've alluded to, to it a little bit. What exactly is spiritual treasure? And what does it look like to lay up your treasures in heaven? What are some real examples? 
One commentator, Craig Blomberg, helpfully explains that when Jesus talks about spiritual treasure, we, we should define spiritual treasure as broadly as possible because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount and in the entire Matthean context of the Gospel of Matthew, doesn't put any limits specifically on this exactly as spiritual treasure. If you pray, your prayer is treasure. Okay? Outside of the person of Jesus Christ being our treasure, there's no specific act, activity, act of service, or pious act, or, or one single character. If you love, then that is what it means to, to lay up treasure in heaven. And so you must apply laying up treasures in heaven very broadly to everything a believer can take with you beyond this grave. So think of anything that does not perish and, and get buried with you at like Rose Hills or Forest Lawn. Anything that you can take with you. So what would that be? That would be eternal relationships. When you build up a relationship with another fellow believer, you're going to see that person again. When you, when you invest in growing in character, when you get to heaven, you are going to put on, you're going to have that character of Christ. So if you practice putting away anger, putting off anger, and putting on love and patience, you, that you're going to see that fruit in heaven. And when you help others to do the same by caring for them and investing in them and discipling them and coming side by side with them, that's going to go in eternity. When you invest in your family unto the Lord and disciple your family unto the Lord, that's going to go into eternity. When you invest in evangelism and missions and people get saved, those souls go into eternity. And ultimately, when you get to, Christ, when you get to heaven, you're going to see Christ, our true and better treasure. So any good work done, not for the praise of man or for self-fulfillment, but for the praise and the glory of God can be applied. Good works don't save us, but good works, they, they, they are used by God to do the work of missions. So think of anything that is eternal simply because Jesus' kingdom is eternal. So that one's pretty simple. Anything that you can't take with you to the grave that's going to go into heaven, that's an eternal treasure that you should invest in. But what are some examples, negative examples, of idolizing earthly treasure? Because Jesus gives us the negation, right? He says, do not lay up treasures for heaven. So what does this look like? Michael J. Wilkins, arguably, and I've mentioned him before, one of the best New Testament scholars that have ever taught at Talbot Theological Seminary, Talbot School of Theology, he writes in his commentary, and I've adapted it for us, he provides a few examples of idolizing earthly treasure. To lay up your treasures here on earth means, one, finding your security in earthly treasure. So we want to know that we're taken care of, so what brings us the greatest security of life and what brings security in our soul is knowing that we have material security. Okay, so that's one way where we will be tempted to find our, to lay up treasures on earth. Uh, a second one is finding your personal worth, your esteem, or your value in treasure, in what you possess and what you own, right? Material possessions, wealth, often indicate that people are successful in what they have done with their lives. We feel good about ourselves if we dress, drive, dine, or decorate well. Right, so what you own, it's a status symbol. What you drive, what kind of watch you wear, um, who you hang out with, your, your social society, all of this spoke to every stratification of the Roman Empire. 
right, that Jesus was speaking to, and it speaks to us today, is that people find their wealth and their esteem, their worth in earthly treasure, and that's why you work so hard for it. Thirdly, finding your power in earthly treasure. Money gives you power because money allows you to purchase services and people who serve you. Money can also be used to control and manipulate. Money can be held over people as a threat, right? People need money for survival. So a lot of times with wealth and material success, we believe that we can have and we can get what we want if we simply have the resources to do so. And so wealth gives us a sense of control where if you have so much wealth, we may be tempted to think we don't really need to lean on God. We're not desperate. We don't need to depend on church. We don't need a handout. We don't need service from people. I don't need my neighbor to love me in that way because I, I am myself and my own kingdom and my own neighbor. I have everything. You know, I don't need anything from anyone else and I surely don't need God unless my money is taken or unless my health is taken. But even if my health is taken, I can use money first to get ahead of the line and to try to get the best, best medical treatment. And when all else fails, when all resources have been exhausted, then I am reminded maybe, why don't we pray? Jesus knows that the human heart is tempted to think that way, right? And so that's why he's saying, he's saying, don't see money as a way where you can control your life. Instead, put money, control it, put it under control for the kingdom, subject it to the use of the kingdom, and trust God to provide for you, right? Uh, Two weeks from now, you'll see that a lot of our anxiety in life, I'm going to be preaching that message, a lot of our anxiety in life, especially here as Americans in Western culture, is revolving around money and provision. Fourthly, finding your independence in earthly treasure is another way where wealth that we can be our own God and not rely on anyone else. This was related to the power one. And lastly, finding your pleasure in earthly treasure. With wealth, we can indulge in every fantasy, whether it's an exotic vacation, the luxurious wedding that we dream of, the finest dining this world has to offer, or the most decadent home. Again, these are all words of Michael J. Wilkins. I don't write that beautifully with my, with my mouth, I mean with my words. Um, I just, you guys know me, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hood. <laughs> I'm pretty hood, you know. So, so, so there was one preacher who I heard, and, and, and he was explaining this passage, and he says, we are tempted to dine on the wine of the wealthy or to use money on the weed of the hood. And I said, that preacher speaks to me. <laughs> that preacher speaks my language, right? Now, the big idea this morning is that's the kind of language I understand, you know, growing up listening to hip-hop as a high schooler, right? There's the, the big idea this morning is that Christ is the imperishable treasure who transforms your heart so that you invest in heaven rather than the grave. Christ is the imperishable treasure who transforms your heart so that you invest in money rather than the grave. Now, to see this big idea come alive, if you'll allow me a few extra minutes, 10 to be exact, to tell you a story from Matthew 19, a famous one about a rich young man. This is the story of the rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, verse 22, so same Matthean context, 
Matthew tells us that there was this young man. And this young man is something that I think if I wasn't a believer, I would definitely aspire to this, to be like this man. This man was young. And in New Testament times, when you see the word young, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, this word young, it meant you're, you're no longer a child and you're around 30 years old. Let's just say that the rich young man is 33 years old. He had to have been smart and successful to achieve wealth, and with wealth comes power and prestige in society at such a young age. This is a guy who retires at 33, and, and he's playing golf in a modern-day context every single morning. The text says the, 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 the man owned much property, the New American Standard, and the ESV says he had great possessions. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, says that, that this rich young man was a ruler, hence we often refer to him as a rich young ruler. So think about that, 33 years old approximately, and he had everything except he lacked one thing the money could not buy. He lacked the assurance of his salvation. So that's his question to Jesus. He goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternity, the eternal kingdom? What do I need to do for eternal life? And Jesus is testing him. Jesus is not teaching works-based salvation. Jesus knows this man's heart. And Jesus says, well, you need to obey the commandments. Obey all the commandments. Obey the law. And the guy says, well, which ones? Because I, I, I try my best to obey all of them. And so Jesus lists off a few standard, uh, standard commandments to reflect the Ten Commandments. And the guy actually says, but Lord, I've done all these things. That's crazy. He says, I've done all these things. And Jesus, nowhere in any of the accounts of the rich young ruler does Jesus deny that fact. So Jesus is looking at this young man, and Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, you're a pretty good guy, which means what? Which means he was not perfect, but whenever he sinned, he went to the temple to offer a sacrifice to receive atonement. And that he was actually a pretty good guy. That he was actually pretty good in terms of being an upright, pious Jew. And he had to have power and prestige and all of that. <clears throat> and in Mark's account, in Mark 10, verse 21, it actually says that Jesus looked at him and felt a love for him. Jesus looking at him loved him. Jesus loved this man. But Jesus tested him. And Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do to, to inherit eternal life. Not because this is the way you get eternal life, but Jesus was testing him because Jesus knew that he loved his possessions and Jesus knew that his identity was based on his possessions, that his security was based on his possessions. Jesus said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. What we often miss is the invitation. I mean, if you follow Christ, will he not provide everything? I mean, the man can, can turn water into wine. The man can make food out of nothing. He can multiply food. I mean, he can heal you. That's the greatest medical plan that no politician can promise you. That's the best health care plan, the Jesus plan. He just heals you if you're sick. I mean, the, the guy is missing out on the greatest thing is to, to follow me, the Son of God, and if you follow me, you go where I go, I'm going to eternity. Because that's your question, right? Your question is, what must I do to get into the eternal kingdom? Well, follow the king. But he, he doesn't even listen to that point. And so he turns around, he turns away, he doesn't follow Jesus because he loved his money 
too much. This particular man found his identity and value in his possessions. Now, the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus because he had no idea that Jesus was truly the Son of God. Tim Keller, who I love, explains it this way. Tim Keller explains and points out how Jesus felt a love for him. And Tim Keller says Jesus at this point is around 31 to 33 years old, roughly the same age as the rich young man, the rich young ruler. Jesus was young in human terms, but Jesus, spiritually speaking, is rich beyond any other person you can think of. He came from heaven. He he created everything. He has every spiritual resource, every divine resource, every material resource he could have. And Jesus was a ruler. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings. But he laid aside all of his possessions temporarily to come down to this earth so that he can can make us his treasure and his possession. He came and sacrificed everything temporarily so that he can save us. And he knows that when he gets to heaven, he's going to have everything back. He understood that. Jesus is, in essence, the true and better rich young ruler. And so Jesus is not asking this young man to do anything that Jesus himself would not do exponentially to a greater degree. And the rich young ruler treasured the comforts of earthly earthly wealth so much that he could not be saved. So Christ truly humbled himself and set aside the comforts of everything so that we must look to Christ and treasure him. And when we treasure Christ above all, when we understand that what Jesus is asking us to give up and what he's not asking us to give up, when we can see with spiritual eyes, unlike the rich young ruler, then we can understand Jesus' teaching. Beloved, I put before you today that there are some of you in here who are struggling financially. I don't know if there's anyone in here who's struggling financially like the the poor in other places in this world, the destitute, the broken. But I want to say today that not all of us are, are young, but all of you are rich in worldly standards. In worldly standards, if you're if you can go afford a hamburger at McDonald's, you're rich. A lot of you own some type of property, whether it's your vehicle, whether it's your house, even if you're renting, you have shelter. I want to say that all of you are rich and all of you have some form of independence like the rich young ruler. And so Jesus is speaking to you today that he understands you more than anyone else. He understands you. He understands the struggle. He understands the temptation. But only when you learn to treasure Christ, when you love him above all, when you look past what he's asking you for, when you look past what it would be like to not have the security of money, will you then see the invitation to eternal life? And he's asking you, will you follow him? He's not saying that there's a formula. He's not saying give away everything. But he's saying, what does it mean for you? There's something that all of us have to do in regards to materials. It's different for all of us. Was it, what, what, what is it for you? Big idea one more time. Christ is the imperishable treasure who transforms your heart so that you can invest in heaven rather than the grave. Let's pray.
Father, we live in a world where even the grave costs too much. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would sanctify our hearts with your word this morning. That you would challenge us because we are all sitting in the seat of the rich young ruler, whether we are middle class, lower middle class, poor, or wealthy. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to look past the call, the sacrifice, and the security of money and possessions to see the invitation that you're giving us to find you, to follow you, and to be enriched by the imperishable treasure of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, that everything else in this world would be rubbish. Give us that love for you, Lord. Give us that desire. Help us to desire you more so that we would truly live as people who are satisfied because of our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.